Today is his first year uh, intro to the philosophy of ministry. Um, and my name is Richie Sessions. I am currently the RUF campus minister at Vanderbilt University. Um, and I've been a part of RYM since 2002. Uh, and so I know a lot of these guys from way back. This is so cool. I always love being, being here. Um, if I could, I think we have an hour and 15 minutes. Isn't that right? Could I get some water? Could one of you guys get me some water, like Joel or somebody? Thank you. Uh, LaCroix? Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, I'll have a lime, please. Since you don't have pamplemousse. Uh, so, I don't know y'all, um, but um, I really want this to be a time of encouragement, refreshment, um, even as we talk about something like the, the philosophy of ministry. And I wonder if someone could just open us with, who would, who would read... Uh, Matthew 11, 25, and 30. Who will read that for us? You got it? Thanks. Tell me your name. Nathan, Nathan okay. Uh-huh. Thank you. So I just want to open our time just for a few minutes just being quiet, just thinking about that passage of Jesus being gentle and lowly of heart. And maybe some of you have come here this week and you are weary and burdened. Um, maybe you're in a good spot in your ministry. You're feeling very encouraged. Maybe some of you are grinding the gears. But you meet Jesus is in the middle of this town calling out, Think how vulnerable this is. Come to me. Think about that. How unpretentious. You know, that's what lowly of heart means. Unpretentious. Approachable. So whatever baggage you have about God or what you think he's like, God is exactly like Jesus. Um, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Come to me. Everyone who's burdened. He's not asking you to understand your burden or explain your burden or anything like that. Just weary and burden. He didn't say, like, not that burden. Ugh. Everyone who's weary and burdened, come to me because I'm gentle and lowly of heart. Oh, by the way, I'm the king of the world. He just said that. All authority has been given to me. But I, but, but I am approachable, gentle. So you can bring your burdens to him. So let's just, let's just stop and just meet with the gentle, lowly Lord right now. about those burdens. Think about just walking out to him. And just sitting there with him. Oh Lord Jesus, we thank you that we can come to you, that we can bring our burdens, our weariness to you. We 
can bring our confusion and our questions and our guilt and our shame and all of that stuff because your arms are strong enough uh, to handle all of it because you are, you are the king. You're the great I am. But you've come to us humble and approachable in ways that we aren't. And so, Lord, that it, thank you for this time. We just sit at your feet. We love you. Amen. Okay. Uh, so this is a time of refreshment. Let me open my... Oh, there is a pineapple loose. I did. It's a great... It's, that's French for grapefruit, if you didn't know. Um, so... P-O-M. A philosophy of ministry. I've said in many of these... Uh, R-U-F. Uh, Reformed University Fellowship, which is the college ministry of the Presbyterian Church in America. I'm not going to pretend like you all know what these things are. I know there's some insider talk within RYM. We don't want anyone to feel left out. Forgive me when you do. We're, we're just broken, insecure idiots like everybody else. So, so if there's any insider talk, if you don't know what I'm saying, please, I don't know what that is. Please don't. Please. Okay. Okay. The philosophy of ministry or the POM, what is that? What are we doing with that? Um, it can sound sort of esoteric or abstract. It took, I went to seminary, but it took me years to kind of go, what do they mean by POM? Here's what it means. Let me give you a personal story. I've been in ministry, full-time ministry, for going on, let's see, so 16 years this May. I've been an ordained minister. Um, went to seminary at RTS in Jackson, Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, Four years there, go into ministry, get ordained, having babies, and doing the whole thing, right? Okay. And I've studied theology. I have all this content. I read most of the books I was supposed to read uh, or skimmed, uh, but I read the stuff. In other words, I did my stuff. I was ordained in the PCA. That's, that's a big deal. That's a, that's a lie. I ask you a lot of questions. Westminster Confession. Um, theology, systematic theology, all this stuff. I had all of this good, 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 good stuff, right? And then I get into ministry, and I'm like, what am I supposed to be doing? I have, like, all these books and all this content, but then, like, I have people in my office with, like, real problems. And how do I translate all this information that I have with, like, this student who's, like, cutting themselves? And then, like, what do I do with someone's marriage that's falling apart? What do I do with all these issues? We have all these issues, real-life issues, or we could call contextualization. How do I take what I've learned and then build this bridge to actually do ministry with someone? A POM, a philosophy of ministry, none of the stuff we talk about in the philosophy of ministry is novel. None of the things that will... It, None of it's new. It's a way of organizing the things that you already know so that you can actually do ministry with the girl who's cutting herself, with eating disorders for people who are struggling with all the addictions and all the things that our students with, the FOMO that they have with their phones and Snapchat and Instagram and all the stuff. How do we translate the theology and the content that we have and then actually deal with real people? I didn't know how to do that. And here's an illustration of that. Does that make sense? Y'all do, know what that feels like? It's like, I've got all this stuff, but like, how do I do that? Okay. Like, 
Normally, I was just giving people books. Like, uh, I didn't, I was just going like, read, okay. So here's an illustration, because I need illustrations. Uh, so here's what the philosophy ministry is like to me. Um, years ago, my family and I went to Louisville, Kentucky, and we went to the Louisville Slugger Museum. Louisville Slugger is like the, ba the baseball bat, so it's like iconic. It's like Coca-Cola or Levi's, Louisville Slugger. It's like, that's the bat, right? Okay, so we went to the factory museum for Louisville Slugger baseball bats, and we watched this video about Louisville Slugger. Um, and Louisville Slugger, the company, owns like a forest in western Pennsylvania where they raise white ash trees. That's the tree, that's the kind of tree, the kind of wood that a Louisville Slugger bat is. Had no idea. Like, that's kind of cool. So I was looking at this like forest, and then I'm going like bat, right? I'm looking at this forest, and then I go like, how did they do that? How do you turn something in? And so a lot of my ministry was like this. It's like going into ministry, and I had all this content and all this stuff, and I didn't know how to make a baseball bat. It's like someone just said like, hey, here's a hatchet. Go make a bat, right? Go, have, go make a baseball bat. The factory was the process that turns a white ash tree into a bat, does that make sense? And so, like, that's super, super helpful to me. Rather than just, like, if I showed you a tree and go, like, hey, that's a baseball bat. I'm like, no, that's a tree. We'll make a baseball bat out of it. POM helps you turn trees into baseball bats. Let's pray. All right, let's go. Okay. But that's, that's kind of what this is. How do you get your fingers around something like this? And here's a definition, a working definition that I think is helpful for POM. If you're going to write anything down, write this down. Okay. And I'll repeat whatever you need. What is a philosophy of ministry? The philosophy of ministry is a tool that can enable us to have ministries that are Christ-centered and theologically reflective. That's like the best definition that I could think of. That's, that's my definition of what a philosophy of ministry is. It is a tool that can enable us to have ministries that are Christ-centered and theologically reflective. We're going to get into, and we're going to, I'm going to walk you through sort of what is the philosophy of ministry. Sort of we're going to look at the tree uh, graphic in just a second. That's not like groundbreaking stuff. It's just organized in a way that helps you make baseball bats. It's organized in a way that helps you be Christ-centered and theologically reflective. So why would it say something like that? It enables us to have a ministry that is Christ-centered. If you're with RYM, if you're here, you want a Christ-centered ministry, right? Is there anyone here that does not want a Christ-centered ministry? Is there anyone that that's like not like top of your list, right? You, everyone wants that. But there's a big difference between wanting a Christ-centered ministry, isn't that weird? And then having a Christ-centered ministry. There's like this gap, right? I want a Christ-centered ministry, but then why is it when I get in ministry, why is it so freaking hard to have a Christ-centered ministry? Someone like, now, this is the part where I want feedback, where I want to, I want to engage. What do I mean by that? I want a Christ-centered ministry, 
But then even though we want it to be centered around ministry, what are some other kind of, what is our ministry often centered around even though we want it to be centered around Christ? Yeah, tell me your name. John. John. Information-centered ministry. Not bad. What kind of information? Yeah, yeah, that's good. So like you come and it's sort of like content, content. We just give them teaching, 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 right? Which can also enable a Christ-centered ministry, but it also can turn your entire ministry into like education, right? Okay, so information dump, right? Okay, what's another one? Yes, tell me your name. Heather? Oh, me-centered ministry. So, like, when you say me-centered ministry, un- unpack that a little bit. Like, in order to establish the curriculum and the student classes and the instructors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you're like the hub of the spoke, and, like, everything's like, oh, she's so great. She's so great. You're so great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, personal charisma, personality, extrovert. I mean, I'm talking to youth ministry now, right? Is everyone in, like, either middle school or senior high ministry in this room? Okay, awesome. So, kind of like everyone's jealous of the super extrovert people person, right? Right? And then that, that's like the thing. Like, this person's super, it's a gap. Have you heard this? Gatherer. We're looking for a gatherer. <laughs> By the way, if you're a gatherer, that's great. That's great. But she's a gatherer. She's a real gatherer. Right? Because they gather leaders. Got a lot of leaders. Okay. All that stuff. That's good. That's good. So what else? What other kind of? So we have information-centered ministry. We have me-centered ministry. What's yours? Method. Method. Tell me about that. We're just thinking it could be a certain way of doing the curriculum or how we use it. Oh, gosh. It's really tempting, isn't it? Why is that so tempting? Like, someone tell me. It's a method-centered ministry. Tell me what, like, let's talk about that a little bit. That's super attractive, right? Tell me why that's attractive. Numbers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, this worked in Cincinnati. And this guy's selling it to me for $450. He'll upgrade it, right? (laughs) This sort of thing. It's super attractive. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Yeah. What else? Method. Method, me, information, one more. Entertainment, Entertainment. oh gosh. Get them in the door, door. cokes and jokes. Yep, yep, super attractive. By the the way, none of these things are bad. You are part of the ministry, information is part of the ministry. There are methods that we use. Uh, Entertainment can be part of the ministry, but having it as the center is soul killing. Yeah. So these are all, this is exactly, yo, yo, this is great. So could y'all put the tree up there? So the philosophy of ministry is a tool that can enable us to have ministries that are Christ-centered and theologically reflective. Um, y'all see the tree? Raise your hand if you've seen the tree before. Y'all seen the tree? Have you ever known? Is this maybe some of those? Are, oh, awesome. This is the first time you've ever seen the tree. So don't be freaked out by the tree. Nothing scary about a tree. 
right? So you look up there and look at the tree itself, not the little descriptions, but you look at the tree. Um, is there anything on the tree that you've never seen before? Like, is there anything that's like, it's pretty, ba it's like stuff you've seen, you've been around, like all of those things, right? What this enables you to do is this enables you to filter what you're doing in Houston and St. Louis and Memphis or wherever you're from, Jackson, Mississippi, the real people there, the people that are on the ground, this gives you a lens to actually filter through the ministry so that it is a Christ-centered ministry, and we'll unpack what that means, instead of a you-centered ministry. It's a way of being theologically reflective, and you're saying like, why are we doing what we're doing? What are we called to do? What's the overall purpose? To reach students for Christ and equip them to serve. Right? To reach students for Christ and equip them to serve. That is our massive purpose. How do, like, what are we trying to achieve? What's the actual fruit that we're trying to bring about? What do we actually want to see in students rather than just entertain students? Rather than just like students that have a lot of information? What's sort of like, uh, what do we, how do we like gauge what we see as success over the long term? See those things up on the tree, the green part? That's the fruit. Like what are we actually trying to produce in our students? And we can use entertainment. We use information. We use those things. But that's the ultimate goal. Those are our goals. Growth and grace. We want to see evangelism and missions. We want to see fellowship and service. We want to see them grow in a biblical world and life view. How do we accomplish, this is like the game changer for me. We're going to unpack all of these. How do we accomplish the goals? Those principles, the trunk of the tree is what produces the fruit in the tree. Scripture, justification, sanctification, glorification. Here's what, here's what that means. It's a Christ-centered, gospel-centered ministry. The only way that you bring about that fruit is by doing those things over and over and over again. And you, me, personally are part of it. We use entertainment. We use information. We use relationships. But none of those things are the goals themselves. Here's the greatest thing about the philosophy of ministry. It frees you from your ministry. That sounds really good. That sounds like an easy yoke and a light burden. It, the, what it does is it has you differentiated more from your ministry where you are doing the principles in large groups and small groups and in one-on-ones and you are about the same goals that Jesus was about. All, all the goals are is a, is a maturing Christian. That's just Christian discipleship. And so it frees you from having to be the center of your ministry. It frees entertainment from having to be the center of your ministry. It frees you from having methods at the center of your ministry. The center of your ministry is Jesus and the fruit that comes from a ministry that is Christ-centered. What do you think I mean by the term theologically reflective? What do you think that means? Theologically reflective. It sounds really, it, I mean, it sounds if you told, went back and said, like, we're being theologically reflective, your elders would be very oppressed. <laughs> what does theologically reflective mean? 
a theologically reflective ministry. And your why questions are always coming from this. Why are we doing this? Like, think about what? Being in ministry in churches, why is it so hard to ask the why questions? Why are we doing this pizza party? Do y'all think about that? Think about the why question in a ministry. At least, I was a, I was a pastor of a church, a large church for like, I was there for eight years. I was a senior pastor for six years. And I just found myself just doing stuff all the time. Just program after program. It's like the programs were reproducing. It was just like you couldn't stop all of the stuff that was just going and going and going. And to step back, and I didn't even think about this stuff until I started hiring REF campus ministers to be my assistant pastors. And they were going like, why are we doing the men's Bible study? And I was like, well, is the men's Bible study bad? And they're like, no, no, no. Like, I'm just saying, is it accomplishing the goals that God has given us? It seems really, really basic, but tell me about your church and why asking why can be really difficult in a local church. Yes. We've always done it. You ever heard that? So it worked in 1987. Right? There was a ministry at my church in Memphis called um, College and Career. And, and, and in 1990-something, it was like the coolest thing in town, and it was smoking. And it gets bigger and bigger every year when people talk about it. There were 7,000 young adults, and people were getting married and converted and weeping on the lawn of the golf course. It was just like this massive thing. So every single year, we had to try to reproduce college and career, college and career, college and career, because it worked. But here's the problem. It was the only show in town in 1990. Memphis in 2008 was way different than Memphis in, in 1990, because now everyone had a college and career. And so when 14 people showed up at our college and career, what's wrong with you? Why do you suck? Right? But being able to filter through this is like, the context, here's the thing, your context is always changing. And so what do we do? Literally, meat and potatoes, gospel ministry. God uses us to be keep doing this over and over and over again. And so we're filtering everything through the philosophy ministry. Is that making sense to y'all? Is that helpful? Like one of the things we don't want to do at RYM is, insu- is like insult your intelligence to act like you don't know what all this stuff means. That's not what we're doing. We're literally trying to give you a framework or a lens to go back to your ministry that gives you sanity. That is, that is thoroughly biblical and is robustly gospel-centered. And so it keeps you kind of on the straight and narrow when you're doing your ministry. Okay. Now, that's my sort of intro to what a philosophy of ministry is. Before I move on to the actual parts of the POM, if we have any questions... Thoughts? Yeah. Do you have a tree named after my tree upstairs? Your tree looks terrible. Yeah, John, do we have. You, could, you can get all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And there are a bunch of different kind of versions of that. That's like the prettiest one I've ever seen. The REF one is way uglier and bare bones. It's very serious. This is like nice. Um, any uh, questions about. Just what I've said, just the entry of the POM. It's just gospel sanity. So you can go back to your ministries. Um, Jesus is not, Jesus isn't confusing.
He's not confusing. Ministry can be confusing. Jesus isn't confusing, and what he wants us to do is not confusing. Now, it's very hard. It's impossible. Without the, it's not hard. It's impossible without the work of the Spirit. But one of the things that to encourage y'all is to go back and say, like, what am I doing? How can I not be the center of my ministry? How about this? How can I be freed from my gifts? Freed from my gifts and be freed to use them. Some of you are going to be better at preaching. Some of you can be better at teaching. Some of you can be better at discipleship. Some of you are more relational. Some of you are small group leaders. Some of you have all these different gifts. But when you make that, when you make the gospel the center of your ministry, you're able then to use your gifts for that. So your ministries are going to look profoundly different. But you're all going to be doing the same philosophy of ministry. Um, this, this, I think, could cause a lot less ministerial anxiety. Or at least it has done in my life. Any other questions before we move on to the parts of the tree? Okay. Now, here's what I want you to do, a little exercise. Um, write down your biggest ministry issues that you have right now. Problems from the past year. What are you angry, frustrated, worried, baffled about, not know what to do about? What are you elated about? What are you, like, what is, what's kind of on, what is your sort of like, what is your heart and mind sort of orbiting around in your ministry right now? Okay, just write down and be thinking about that. Ministry related stuff. I want you to keep that in your mind because I, I, what I'd like for you to do as, as before we finish, I mean, as we go through this intro today is for you to begin to think about that issue through this lens. Does that make sense? Like, how are you thinking about it in sort of a me-centered way or as like a reactive way how could you begin to think of it and, and filter that through this POM? That would be kind of the goal of that, okay? So keep that in your mind. So what's the purpose? So let's just start it. We're starting way 30,000 feet. What is the purpose in ministry? So the philosophy of ministry starts with the purpose. What is the purpose? What are we trying to do? What's like, and you find this a hint in this, is like, RYM, what's their little tagline? What are we doing? Reaching and equipping. So like, what's the purpose of your, like, what's the purpose of every single ministry? It's all, they're all exactly the same. Reach students for Christ and equip students to serve. Can we all say that together? Reach students for Christ and equip students to serve. Where do you, where in Scripture might you also find that mission, purpose? Yeah. So give me that. Give me your paraphrase. Give me John's paraphrase of the Great Commission. That's all it is. 
I mean, so that even starts bringing clarity when you begin to think about your ministry. Like, what are we doing in ministry? Is the purpose of our ministry to have a big group? Is the purpose of our ministry to have the ministry that everyone, that's sort of a buzz, you know? What's the purpose of our ministry? What's the purpose of ministry? It's to reach students for Christ. To see non-Christian students converted. Right? We want to reach them for Christ. We want to see people go from unbelief to trust in Jesus Christ. That's it, right? Number one, we want to see people know and love Jesus Christ. It's like simply that basic. And if that's not your heart, then like you really need to sort of like consider that. Jesus is the good shepherd and he's seeking the lost sheep. Like next, like tomorrow at large group at RUF, we have this, our large group meeting is on Wednesday nights at Vanderbilt. And I'm speaking on Zacchaeus. Oh, I love this. You love Zacchaeus. I'm in a school where I did a Bible study yesterday talking about Zacchaeus. And no one in the Bible study knew who Zacchaeus was. Can you can y'all imagine that? I was like, I, went, I literally went, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And, and they were like, what are you doing? Stop. What are you doing, dude? So, like, Jesus is the one that goes out and, like, everyone's mad that he's going to go spend the day at Zacchaeus' house. And what does Jesus say? The Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. This is the Son of Abraham. That's the heart of Jesus in your ministry. So what is his heart? Is for those people who are on the outside to come in. That's what he's doing. That's what he wants to do in your ministry. And I know that there's probably some burdens when you were like, I don't know if that's what my session wants. I'm serious. I know that can be hard. We intentionally minister and teach the gospel to every single student. So overall, to reach students for Christ, those who are outside the group and those who are inside the group. What do I mean by that? Those who are outside the group, the students who are unchurched or de-churched, and then to see the students who are in the church reach for Christ. Tell me what I mean. Translate that. Oh, come on. What's your name? Joe. You got you to gotta eat and drink that. If you assume that everybody knows Jesus, then it's going to affect big time the way you present all this stuff. You're going to have insider stuff, and you're going to have an ingrown group. You've always got to be preaching like they don't know the gospel. You always have to be doing that. That's what a Christ-centered ministry is, is the heart of the gospel is always placed before Jesus. Come, believe in Jesus. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, over and over and over again. That's a Christ-centered ministry is to reach Jesus Christ, those inside the church and those outside the church. So what's the second part? Reach students for Christ, like that is it. Like that's why you're in this game. I know it. That's why you're doing this thing is because you want to see people come into Jesus Christ, right? Okay. And then what's the second part of the purpose of ministry? Equip. What does equip mean? 
Give them the right tools. What else? Train them. Be specific. What does that mean? Yeah. Ownership. Yeah, that's good. Tell me your name. Yeah, Stefan, that's good. Ownership of the ministry, right? Discipleship growth. This is sort of like intensive growth or renewal growth. You're teaching them to, honestly, to fall deeper and deeper and deeper in love with Jesus through his word. Through the same gospel that they were converted. And Paul talks about this. Just as you receive Christ, so walk in him, in Colossians. So right, it's the same gospel, and then they're going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into Jesus Christ, equipping them to serve. And here's how you do it. This is real, this is like basic, this is what we do, bread and butter. We teach them how to read their Bibles. We get the Bible in front of them. We teach them about prayer. We teach them to to love the local church. Like, we teach them the, the gloriously unsexy Christian life Day in, day out, the Lord's Supper, prayer, fellowship, right? That's what the church is doing in Acts chapter 2. This is what I love about Acts chapter 2. There's this great promise, right? Jesus says, y'all don't do anything until the Holy Spirit comes. Like, I'm serious, guys. Peter, I'm, I'm talking to you. Don't go anywhere until, you're, until you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit. So they wait for Pentecost. Boom. 3,000 people, boom, converted, massive thing. And then in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, you know what they're doing? They're being the church. It's the most glorious thing. It's so, like, basic. What are they doing? They're, like, they're eating food (laughs) together. There's just one mention of, like, and marvelous acts were happening with them. So, like, crazy, like, cool things. But, like, most of the time, you know what they were doing? It said with glad and joyful hearts they were eating their food. They were encouraging one another in the gospel. They were praying together. They were, they were, uh, devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is, they were, they, were, they were doing information. They were doing content. They were do, they were, here's the thing. They were just doing those principles. We're talking about justification, talking about how to grow, hope of glorification, day in, day out, and how they were doing it. Large group, small group, one-on-ones. Boom, that's what we do. Because the gospel, Romans 1, is the power of God. Y'all hear that? How do we reach students for Christ and equip them to serve? Like, we could stop right now because that's the most basic thing, but we're going to flesh it out a little bit. The gospel is how you reach students for Christ and equip them to serve because the gospel is the dunamis, right? The Greek word, dunamis, the power of God. You hear about that? The gospel is not like the power of God. It is the power of God. You're not. And your gifts aren't. You're great. God loves you. That's the most liberating thing ever when you just get the heck out of the way and go like, you need that. It's so liberating when you can like use your skills to go get people in front of Jesus. John chapter 1, I must decrease and he must increase. People do not need us. They need Jesus. Get out of the way. That's what the philosophy ministry is. Do you feel like maybe you're, for some of us, like your blood pressure is kind of going down just a little bit? You're going like, oh, gosh. I'm going to go back to ministry. And you know what that means? That means you need to be transformed by the power of the gospel. <laughs> like you, that's what you're here for. That's what you're going to Scotty Smith, who is a freaking ninja. 
on getting the gospel in your soul, right? The Jedi. He's y'all's preacher this week, right? Okay. So he's just going to be da- like he's just going to be loving on y'all. That's what you need because you can't give what you don't have. Reach to for Christ, equipping to serve. Reach to for Christ, equipping to serve. That's what we do. Now let's go to the rest of the tree. Questions about the mission. Like I said, we're not insulting y'all. We know that y'all know this, but I want y'all to hear it kind of like anew. Like, yes. What am I doing? I'm reading student for Christ, equipping to serve. Why? Because that's what Jesus does. So let's look at the goals. Any questions about reach and equip? Anybody? Okay. We're done at 1030, correct, Joel? Awesome. Joel, I didn't recognize you, man, with your haircut. I mean, I like it. Just miss the locks a little bit. You remember Joel's? Okay, the goals. The goals of RUF are, somebody read them for me. They're the green part. What are the goals? Awesome. What's another one? Yep. What's it? Yep. What's another one? Yeah. Those are not like exhaustive. What they are is as broad and as general as you possibly can be in order to like think about what you're trying to move students towards. And this is a lifelong project. This isn't like a quick turnaround. You know, th- this is like they're coming, they're, they're, they're in Sunday school, like especially our covenant kids. They're baptized, they're in Sunday school, they're hearing the gospel, the gospel gets deeper and deeper in their life. And then they go into, they get into your ministry, the junior high, the middle school ministry, the, the upper school senior high ministry, they hopefully go to something like RUF or a campus ministry. And so their life, we see this as a lifelong process, not a pill, a process whereby the Holy Spirit is transforming people to look more like Jesus. That is just an integrated, Christ-centered person. They never arrive. But we're just moving towards those aspirational goals. They're growing in those, little by little. And the greatest, I think, one of the greatest definitions of Christian growth, or when I think about goals, is that Christian growth is gradual and inevitable. But gradual, you have to hold on both those things. Because the Spirit is in someone, it's an inevitable growth because the Spirit transforms people to look like Jesus, period. That's what he does. That's the process of sanctification, but it's very gradual. Really gradual. And when we touch on presuppositions, some of this is like, how can we be patient with people in the process of just the gradual growth? What does that look like in people's lives? (laughs) Um, Now, here's the first thing I want to say. So growth in grace, that is to know how to walk with God, right? You growth in character and skills and wisdom Growth in our and and how we just grow in grace through the through the sacraments through the word. Biblical world and life view. It's a cognitive, biblical frame for all of life and vocation. So they're thinking all about their life. This is one of the things about being reformed, right? We're thinking not about sacred secular kind of dichotomies, and we're thinking about you've got a secular, you've got your spiritual life over here, you have your 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 secular life over here. We're thinking about all of life over Jesus Christ. So everything that they listen to and where they eat and where they work, everything is part of the kingdom. And so growing with this integrated biblical world and life view, which is really, really exciting. 
So we're teaching, we're training, we're modeling growth and grace, biblical world and life view. Third, fellowship and service. What do y'all think we what do you think the founders, the mysterious founders of RUF, put fellowship and service together? They're always together. What do you think? Yes. Yeah. The one of the reasons I think that's so genius, fellowship and service, it's not fellowship or service. Do you know what I mean by that? Because some of them are like, we're really, just we're really about fellowship. And like, I'm kind of lean that way because I'm all about like just being in people's lives and talking to people and getting their lives. And then they're the activists, the people are like, y'all need to chill out. We're not going to go to the soup kitchen, okay? <laughs> this is like social gospel, right? Anything that I'm not good at is not my gift. <laughs> like, that's not my gift, right? So like fellowship and service means fellowship should look like service and service should look like fellowship. You do it together. That's what's happening in Acts 2, 42 to 47. It is the overflow of their koinonia, their fellowship. It's just happening. And so they're bringing people into fellowship, and it's looking like real, concrete, embarrassingly simple acts of kindness and service. That's what it means. All, all born out of the gospel. That's a really balanced view when I think of service. It's not fellowship or service. It's fellowship and service. I think that's genius. Evangelism and missions. Lifestyle, witness, global church connection. So we're giving people a heart for like what God's doing in India and what God is doing in our neighborhoods. Okay. Y'all know the goals? The goals just make us Christian, right? So any evangelical, Protestant evangelical church, pretty much 99% of them are going to share our goals, right? So here's some things about why the why the goals are so important to point out. They're just what Jesus looked like. One, we can't make actual spiritual growth take place in anyone. I cannot make someone in my church not commit adultery or even show up. There's a powerlessness when we look at these goals, this fruit. John the Baptist said, I'm not the Christ. We are not in control of people and what they do or of the Spirit and how he works. We are not responsible for other people and what they do and what they do not do. They are. I'm convinced a lot of struggle in my ministry and sin in my ministry comes from not believing that only God can bring real spiritual fruit. Only God can bring repentance, faith, obedience, love, hope. And like none of us in here would say like, I believe only, I, I, you know, I believe only the Holy Spirit can bring it about. But where we're functionally living a lot of times, even, even subconsciously, acting out of our gift mix, we're trying to produce the fruit. We want to see the fruit in people's lives that we will take the low road and manipulate sometimes and guilt people. And this is what we call an RUF. Um, we, we can staple the fruit on the people. Like I take an apple and just go, it's up there. You're going to be this way, right? Because you're ticked off that they're not. And you want to see growth. And honestly, I think, by the way, psychoanalyze, it's because we're not like we want to be, <laughs> a lot of times. 
And so we staple the fruit on there. What happens to staple fruit? Nasty. It's rotten. It's not real. It's not organic, right? Well, when the spirit, why do they put the little spirit cloud up there pouring down? And the spirit is the one who uses the gospel to transform people. This is what a counselor in, in Memphis once said, a guy named Brent Stenberg. There is always a gap between our efforts and our outcomes. We do not control outcomes in this life. So that's the first thing you say about fruit and the goals. We cannot bring it about, okay? So just own that. Own your powerlessness to bring about fellowship of service, evangelism, mission, growth and grace, biblical world and life view. Because then you might actually, if you do that, you might actually start seeing some real fruit if to embrace the powerlessness of this. Two, on the other hand, we shouldn't conclude that we therefore do nothing Like, well, I can't bring, right, which is a version of, like, hyper-Calvinism, right? God's going to do it. You know, God's going to do it. He's going to do it however he wants to. It's not my gift. We have a responsibility and an opportunity and a privilege to be used by God to fulfill this ministry. So you can't bring spiritual fruit about, but you, you are responsible. Here's what you're responsible to do. We're going to flesh out these principles. See the trunk? That. What are you responsible for in ministry? Because you cannot bring about the fruit. What are you responsible to do? Scripture, justification, sanctification, glorification. In other words, you're bring, all that is is just a way of, of breaking out the gospel. You're getting the gospel, large group, small group, one-on-ones, every single day. This is what you do. This is the only, that's your responsibility. Some of you are introverts. Some of you are extroverts. Some of you are like, love to teach. Some of you don't love to teach so much. Some of you are great Bible study leaders. Some of you are not so great Bible study leaders. I'm a terrible Bible study leader. Horrible. Awful. I still do them. I'm learning. I'm just like, I'm just bad at it. Some people are like geniuses at it. Inductive, letting people talk. <laughs> but how freeing is that? How does the fruit come about? Principles. Boom, boom. Our, our role? Gospel, gospel, gospel. Do you realize that? And then you go home and eat cheese enchiladas with your family. Seriously. You go home and be a human. You can leave it at the office because your job is just to show up every single day and the rest of it's completely in God's hands. You just throw the gospel out. Gospel, 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 gospel. You're getting the gospel in people's lives. It frees you from your ministry, frees you for your ministry. I honestly think that's like, that's what it means to be reformed. Like real Calvinism, we believe that God's totally sovereign in his grace in people's lives. It frees you from your ministry. It's like, what does he use? He uses these means and he uses me to do it but after that, I have no idea. Three, when we look at the goals, we need to live out the tension in our lives, in our ministries. So we're totally powerless, yet we're responsible. That tension never goes away. God is in charge of the ultimate outcomes of our ministry. Even though we can't produce the outcomes we must long for, 
pray for the Spirit to work in people's lives. To bring about these ultimate goals. And here's why I have so much encouragement to pray for those things. God wants to do, he wants to reach and equip infinitely more than you do. Here's the thing. He's using our meager, weak, broken, confused, insecure, neurotic selves to bring about his perfect work, to bring his gospel. He brought the gospel to us, now he brings the gospel through us. And so he wants to do it through us. And by, by the way, he's going to. He's going to. That's the great encouragement we have. God's going to do this. Isn't that, isn't that, that's so encouraging. God's going to do this in your ministry. Now, you may, not, you may be in a ministry where you see no fruit for years. So what do you do? You get in your CRV and you, you drive to the, to the middle school and you awkwardly have to have a conversation with the seventh grader who's like, not cool. And not a leader, but you're sitting there, and that's the most important person in the universe at that time to Jesus. Do you see how that, like, it makes your ministry small and real and true that God is using you in that moment and being present with students to bring the gospel to them? He's doing it. So we have this tension that we live in. All right. Now, let's sort of flesh out the goals just a little bit. Any questions about that? Overview of the goals. Is that helpful? Again, I know, I know this isn't new to a lot of you, but is it helpful to think about it this way? Tell me why. Why is that helpful? Tell me your name. Cherie. Cherie. It's really like, I was reading a book the other day, and it said, I wish I could go to a school of unlearning. There's a school of learning and a school of unlearning. I think a lot of what these times can be is a time to step back and, 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 to, and to reflect on how our sin, on how our discouragement, on how our fatigue, on how we're not taking care of ourselves maybe, and how we get mission creep. And how like our backgrounds, our stories, how things like that can cause us to like really creep and how us to kind of clean off the perspective filter and go like, I'm about this. Yes, back to this thing. Isn't it like a kind, gentle, loving God to make ministry so clear? Not convoluted, not esoteric, not like you're going to try to find these secret methods that, that you always are like, you're probably not smart enough to figure out. Sorry, but Tim Keller is. And the guy down the street is, but you're not. And honestly, what this is about, it's about you repenting. It's about you repenting and being about the heart of Jesus. Jesus gets the gospel in people's lives, and he wants to see them reach and equip and grow. Now, growth and grace. Unpack that. Grow in grace. When you talk about growth and grace, that sounds really good. But what does that mean when you go back and say, we want to see our students grow in grace? What does that mean? 
What do I mean by that? What do you think I mean by that? It's very spiritual sounding. Yes. Yeah. What does it mean for you to grow in grace? How are you growing in grace? What does it mean for you personally to grow in grace? Notice in that passage we read, Matthew 11, 25 through 30, Jesus is thrilled. I love it when Jesus does this in the Gospels. He just says, Father, I praise you that you've hidden these things from the wise and learned and you've revealed them to little children. It just is so awesome. <laughs> and it's your good. And, you were, and he says it was your pleasure. The Father was pleased by it. So the Father and the Son and the Spirit are so pleased that it's about being childlike with God. The wise and learned, us trying to figure things out of our pride and our skill set is another way of sort of hiding behind fig leaves and using our left brains, our analytical part of our brains to protect ourselves and, make, and to keep our jobs and to come back and say, what is this about? It's about me being dependent and childlike with Jesus. That's the only way he's going to meet you. A childlike trust. To grow in grace is to grow in childlikeness. That's what you want to see in your students. Childlike trust in Jesus, the school of unlearning. Growth in grace is done by clear teaching and preaching of the gospel, opening up the Bible. Growth in grace is done by teaching people the basic Abba Father way of praying. It's taught, it's done by eating and drinking the good word, Jesus himself. John 6, when he said, like, I'm true food. Right? Isn't that wonderful? I'm true food. I'm true drink. Like, that's what, that is, you know what that means? That means people who are not even able, who don't even have fully formed prefrontal cortex, don't even able to know how to use or access the left side of their brain. That is, people who are special needs and handicapped, they can have the gospel just as much because they can eat and drink it. It's nonverbal. It is preverbal. It is limbic. You eat and drink it. That's how you grow in grace. In other words, like you're getting all the stuff away and you're getting Jesus in front of people. That's how you grow. And so what happens is it's when Jesus becomes most precious to you. You equip people to grow by getting the gospel. Jesus becomes precious. All right. Evangelism and missions. What does that mean? So people, what does it mean for students to be growing in evangelism and missions? Sounds good, but what in the what? Evangelism and missions. Like we want students to grow in evangelism and missions? Yeah. Yeah. Like when you hear a student saying, hey, I was fumbling my way trying to talk to my atheist friend or agnostic student in the 10th grade with me that is in my chemistry class. I was kind of trying to talk about Jesus. Like, yes. Why? Because that's Jesus in them through the work of the Spirit. 
beautiful. Yeah, do they, do they literally just care about lost people? And, and it also means to equip them to, to share the gospel. Have anybody ever done that, like, taught your students how to share the gospel? Have you all done that? Raise your hand. What, what was that like? Like, tell me, tell me more about that. Yeah. And they were asking follow-up questions. Please tell us what you know about it. Yeah. Um, and do that until they start putting hands around it. And then over time, I would start coming in, or have Michelle come in and say, okay, let's say you're having a conversation with a friend, and they bring up this thing. How do you answer that question and bring them around to the gospel? And so just sort of training them in different scenarios and helping them through that context. That's awesome. What's your name? Nathan. Nathan. Okay. You've already told me that three times. I'm so sorry, Nathan. What Nathan's doing in Decatur, Alabama is going to be totally different than you are from Fort Payne, Alabama. Maybe not a lot of difference. <laughs> <laughs> Japan, a lot different. Here's the thing. All right, that's different. Equipping students to grow in evangelism, growth in grace is going to look way different. That's the reason we're not method-driven. Do you see that? So we didn't give one method. Here's the thing. But we're all trying to get them excited about lost people. But the way we're going to get into it, because only you know your people, we have reached students for Christ, equipping to serve. We're trying to reach these goals, but it's going to look way different. That's what contextualization is. It's not one size fits all. This frees you from a one size fits all thing, which is gospel sanity. Especially when you have one of a leader in your church saying, like, you need to do this program. You ever had that? This is what you need to do because they're on the board of it or something. You're like, no, we don't. Okay, that's bad. Um, okay. Fellowship and service. What does fellowship and service look like in youth ministry? Talk to me. Y'all know better than I do. Yes. It's Kindle, right? McKenna. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Nice. So if you were going to boil that down, what would you say, like, that's all about? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah. You want them to, like, like each other. Only the spirit, here's the thing, only spirit can bring about real koinonia. And real diversity within that fellowship, unity and diversity, which we all long for. The spirit brings that, that brings that about. How do we do that? We'll talk about the principles. The way you accomplish all these goals, word, scripture, justification, sanctification, glorification. Boom, boom, boom. That creates the goals. You don't make the goals the focus. You make this is what you do, and you're trying to produce that. God produces that. You do this. So you're just trying to get people around each other, fellowship and service, and then help them. The, the beautiful thing is, is if they come up with something that they want to do in service, right? Giving them a heart, like God's heart 
for the, for the widow and the orphan, for the outcast, for the person who has no friends at all. That's the spirit doing that in your group, fellowship and service, one-anothering each other, coming in, bringing that in. That's a work of the spirit. Now, if there's one goal that I have tried to staple on more than anything, it is fellowship and service. Do you know what I mean by that? Like the one that I like try to muscle down, like be nicer to each other, be friends. I'm so sick of saying that. Be friends. How does that work? Anyone ever felt that, that, that urge? Be friends. Stop not being friends. How does that feel? You ever done that? Because you're so mad at the clicks. Oh, my gosh. You want to just take this and throw it out a window when you see all the clicks? You ever done that? Like, be friends. Okay. And you realize it's like, I need to be praying about this. Telling people to be friends, especially people in the, in the 10th grade, that they need, they need to travel the, the one million mile trek from the cool table to the uncool table ain't happening just because you tell them to be friends. So what do you do? The trunk. That's a game changer for me. How does fellowship and service, in other words, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. It is the power of God. It's the only way that you can bring about fellowship and service. Or you can... You can Guilt the heck out of your students for not being nicer. Pick your poison, okay? Biblical world and life view. What is that? Biblical world and life view. We use, we throw that around a bunch. What'd y'all say that is? Beautiful. Great definition. You're just like getting them to think Christianly about their world, to interact with their world. How do I like think about my work in a way that is like integrated? Okay. Two things about that. First, pressure's off from it being your job to give them a fully integrated Kuyperian, Abraham Kuyper, biblical and worldview. They are developmentally at a certain place. An 18-year-old boy is a brain stem walking around. <laughs> He's just reacting to stimuli, right? And so, like, what you're doing a lot about this stuff, biblical world life, you're planting seeds, you're planting seeds, you're planting seeds, and then you go home and, have, and do your life. You're planting seeds. You want to do these things. You want to see those things happen, but you're, like, you're also reasonable about what you're trying to accomplish. Um. It also means that you're um, inviting other people in your community who are not professional Christians to talk about what it, what it means to be a Christian in the real world. You're just exposing them to grown-ups. Maybe one of the best things that you could possibly do. You're exposing them to grown-ups to just talk about those things. You're, you're bringing in movies and music. You want to think about when, when, when they're good and true to Billie Eilish. Like, they're, like, beginning to process. 
like what's good and true and beautiful art and how can I look at the mixed bag? Like how can something always be like that's really, really good and broken and how can I point out the things that are broken and beautiful at the same time rather than just saying you can only listen to this kind of music. Don't get me started. But like giving them the ability to actually interact with good, true, and beautiful things and helping them like discern. It's an issue of discernment. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, you could you could probably fit James Jamie's stuff like anywhere in there, but like, uh, but definitely in, in biblical world and life view. In other words, our issue is disordered loves. Like, what do you love? What you love is shaping you. Totally. So rather, we're not thinking things. We're lovers, right? So absolutely, that's great stuff. Um. Now, before we kind of go to questions, when you. The goals are one good way of helping assess your ministry. Think about this. It's one way of like looking at your ministry occasionally every six months or every, whatever it is. I'm not, I'm not like organized. I do this, I do this, but I don't do it like I'm doing Some of you are super organized. That's wonderful. But it's basically looking at like where do, where's, an, where's an area that we're pretty, like really pretty weak. Like, do we need to grow in the area this year, like fellowship and service, and we're going to pray that God does that? And so how is that going to shape the way that we present the gospel to grow in that certain area? It's a way of making an assessment in your ministry to say, like, hey, I want to have a balanced ministry. And by the way, you're not going to be batting a 1,000 in every single one of these. That's not the goal. Your goal is faithfulness, but it is a good way of looking at your ministry and kind of assessing, like, where is some area where, like, we've never done any biblical world in life stuff? Like, what does that look like? Let's, like... What if we had like a, a unit on that, like where we talked about that? And here's the thing. That's super contextualized to your group. So like Alabama and Japan, biblical world and life view in that conversation is going to look totally different, but you both want to see them grow in that area. But it's a great way of like assess. Is that a, to me, that's a really hard thing to do is like assess your ministry. Like think about it. How do some of y'all assess your ministry? Even the word assess makes me kind of nauseous a little bit. Assessment. Um, but tell me, how do, you, how, do you, how do you, like, look at your ministry and kind of be critical about it or reflective about it? What do you do? Yeah, John. Talk to your volunteers. Like, how are we doing? That's good. Yeah, strengths and weaknesses is good. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you bet you, bet, you get a bunch of stuff, right? So you ask people that are involved in the ministry. That's one, that's one good way of doing it. What else? Oh gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a good this is a good thing that one of the things the goals do is help you kind of look at your ministry and say like, hey, what are we trying to shoot for? And then how can we begin to move in these other areas and pray that the Lord does these things? Any questions? Let's let's do let's open up for questions right now. We've got about nine minutes for questions. I'll give you 10. Questions, comments? Yeah.
hundred percent. That's yeah. Wisdom issues on how you have these conversations. Um, that's a really really good question because that dynamic is this is not a dynamic I have to deal with. Um. I kind of go back to what are you responsible for? And they're still children under the roof of their parents. And and unless it's like destructive or blatantly sinful, where it would be an issue that you get your elders involved, your leadership involved. In other words, if it's something that's really destructive and theologically like bad, which is like an extreme case, right? That one of the things you have to do is, which, which allows you... I have a hard time believing any of them are going to argue against the principles, right? And so what you're doing is you're making the principles the main thing, and then you're emphasizing how the principles relate to biblical worldview. In other words, how does a gospel... So you start, This is something that helped me so much in ministry. You always start with the gospel, and you make your argument from the gospel. So we, did, we, we had a major racial reconciliation issue in Memphis when I was there at the church where he was, it was started in seg- about segregation. And I was like, we have to address this. The church has never addressed this. It was a segregated church, and we're in Memphis, Tennessee, where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. And we've never said, we started because we're racist 50 years ago. So how do we break the silence? Well, I talked to an older pastor, and he said, start with the gospel. They can't argue against the gospel. And so when you make the gospel the main thing, right, when you make the gospel the main thing, and then you build your and then you build your argument or your case from that, you talk about biblical world and life view, you're going to have most of your people, unless they're like really, really strange, and I know that they're outliers, and they're very difficult sometimes. They're the outliers, but when you make, when you make the gospel the main thing and you build, it from the case, you build the gospel about biblical world and life view from the gospel of Jesus, you talk about fellowship and service. You want to have diversity because that comes from the gospel. When you, uh, you talk about growth and grace from the gospel. Then, then your premise, they can't argue with that. They can maybe talk to you about like details, but I think that's why, that's why the philosophy ministry is so good, is that it's rooting you in something that most everyone agrees on. And so you have this like, hey, why are y'all doing this? We think the gospel, uh, for instance, why are y'all bringing those kids from that other school into ministry? Uh, they, don't belong, just, they don't belong here. They don't mesh or uh, they don't connect. Whatever nice word they're going to baptize that racism with. Um, and so why to do that? Well, it's because um, every nation, every tribe, every kindred, and every tongue, um, that Jesus Christ was a first century Jew, and last time I checked, none of us are. And so which means, by nature, we are multi-ethnic, and we want to move toward that imperfectly. And so you're basing that. Do you see the argument comes from the gospel, and you build it that way in fellowship and service? Does that help? Her parents are actively telling her not to do something that 
commanded, and there's no other commanded reason that's in the scripture. Yeah. I mean, that is, you're in it. Like, you're in the trenches. Here's the thing. You don't ever do that stuff alone, which is why the church is a community, and it's why you bring other parents in, walk through that. That's, that sounds like that's going to be step one, step two, step three, that's, that God's going to ultimately do. And so that's kind of one of the things you kind of fly on by instruments at that point because you can't see in front of you. You know what I mean by that? Which means you really have to like lean into your leaders, get wisdom from your leaders, and, and at the same time, trust God to work. Trust God, pray that he would convert the parents. You start praying for these impossible things for God to do, and he'll do them in his time. But I think one by, I think what you do is you protect yourself and you lean into the community of faith. Don't go rogue. You stay with the, you keep the main thing the main thing, and you're walking through this sort of methodically, and it is messy. But what the POM allows you to do is in the midst of the mess, remember the main thing. You come back to the main thing. You see, if you were the main thing in that situation, then somehow it's all about you figuring out a way to do it. If the method's the main thing, then there's no method that's just going to absolutely be, a, you know, doing brain surgery with a monkey wrench uh, in those kind of situations. And that's why we botch the heck out of those kind of things. So it's like you getting down with them with the gospel and walking through it with them and, and lean into people that are in their 40s, 50s, 60s. That's what I would tell you. It's a great. Uh, other questions, comments? Thoughts? Yes, tell me your name. Noah. Noah. Yeah. Tell me more about that. Like, flesh, give me an example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is an essential. So that, there's a difference between essential and non-essential. So um, not using the, so what you would do is like, okay, so if I wanted sixth graders in, then what I could do is I could use my theology and make an argument for them being in. Well, the problem with that is that that's not an essential issue. And so that's a wisdom issue. And so, and it's also a leadership issue. So, like, what does the church decide? Now, if the church decides to back out on their view of Scripture, if the church decides to, like, ditch uh, forensic one-and-done one justification of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, that's an essential issue. But a non-essential issue is an issue of discernment and wisdom. And so, like, you just sort of, like, know, like, hey, what's the, like, what's the wise thing to do? And that's prayer and, and community that you process those things through. And you're not using the gospel. You're not trying to baptize your bias. Yeah. Sure. Okay. That's different. That's different than just the idea of we don't want sixth graders in there. That's sort of like a structural programmatic issue. But that's a gospel issue. 
So like, great, I'm glad you like fleshed that out even more. That's a, that's a gospel issue. We don't want our students part of this community. Then that, then I would say like, well, tell me more about that. Like, tell me why you don't want them to be part of that. Um, and it could be, um, you know, there could be a lot of different, what, you, do you kind of have a suspicion of what their issues are? That's, uh, do you have, do you have like uh, an, like a uh, elder or two that you really trust and that you, that, that you feel like you're on the same page with? That's 100% where I would go with that. Um, that's the kind of stuff that eats, chews, and eats, eats, chews, spits out youth ministers uh, so often. Are those kind of dynamics or like difficult families and difficult parents where you don't have cover? <laughs> you're a bit, you know, you, you know that feeling not having cover, like where you're out there and you're going like, hey, I'm trying to do this and those kind of things. Yeah, that, that's just the brokenness of the church. And that's really, really hard. And that's honestly, that's why I read Matthew 11, 25 through 30, because that's a huge burden. And so for y'all to reconnect with Jesus and go through that. But that's, God's in that, but that's where I would really prayerfully work through that and, and hand off that stuff to my leaders and to my senior pastor. Um, because you're so exposed in that situation. I mean, you're so exposed. Um, yeah, I hope you have good peeps around you. Great, great, great question. Yeah, other, anything else? One more. Yes, John. So are you saying it's like, is it, a, is it a, a level? In other words, are you struggling with like getting them to a level where it's basic enough? Or is it like, are you using, is it terminology? Okay. That is, dude, welcome to ministry. Um, it's learning to use their language and speak in their language. That's just incarnation. And we're all with you right there. Like, how do I translate this, and how do I listen? And so I would go listen to your, like, one of the best ways is go listen to your favorite preachers. Or that, that maybe, you, maybe your favorite preachers use big words, but, uh, and that's good, too. But listen, listen to the people that are communicating with middle schoolers well, and listen to how they're talking, and listen to the way they're communicating the gospel, and why they're communicating, and why they're super. It's all about clarity. It's all about clarity. And clarity is hard work. There's a poetry to it, but you can do it. But it's about clarity, and it's a skill that you can learn. Um, and it's also one of the reasons people get frustrated because they want to start using some different term. But it's about clarity. But if you need to go do something else, that's also a thing. That's fine too. But it's about clarity. But if you can learn clarity in your in the way you're communicating, I mean, like go back and read Jesus Storybook Bible and go like, why is this so good, right? Uh, 
it's because Sally Lloyd-Jones, it's, it's about clarity in a way that's very beautiful and compelling. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much. Thank you all so much for doing this. I hope it was helpful. I think I'm meeting back with you all later. Yeah. Awesome. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for this time. I pray that it would be helpful and encouraging that we could just clear away all the cobwebs and our own baggage and our fears and our insecurities and just rest in you, Jesus, on your finished work. You are our great high priest, that you have gone into the Holy of Holies and our consciences are clean because of the blood that is sprinkled on them as your blood. And so we come boldly to the throne of grace. Thank you so much for this week. Amen. In Jesus' name.